what can we learn about the divine through the lives of uh, disabled and chronically ill folks? How do we close this perceived gap? I've been saying these days, Juju Bay, uh, folks who are believing the fan fiction that they're able-bodied. Oh. Hello, hello, longtime bays and my new listeners. Welcome, welcome, Akuaba, bienvenidos to A Little Juju Podcast, the womanist witchy insight podcast that delves deep into black spiritual pop culture, the black healing journey, and the ancestral spiritual systems that help get us free. This is the hashtag Black as Spirituality show, and I'm your host, Juju Bay. I am a psychic, a hoodoo, and a Risha devotee, and most importantly, y'all already know, a bad bitch witch. Hello, y'all, and welcome to another episode of A Little Juju Podcast. So today, days, we are going to be talking about a lot of things, spirituality, of course, black-ass spirituality, disability justice, and also just being a baddie. And I thought that it was very important to invite the <laughs> special guest of Jade T. Perry. I met you, Jade, on Clubhouse. And really? I was facilitating a room. You might not even remember this. This was last year, maybe. I was doing a room on like the church and I don't remember what I was talking about, but it got really deep, actually. It was like people were coming up and sharing their stories. It got so deep. And you got up on stage, on the clubhouse stage, and you just like dropped a gem and then dipped and went back in the audience. And I was like, <laughs> who is who is that? Who just came up on the stage and like <laughs> dropped all this like good wisdom and then just was like, all right, y'all, I'm going go back in the audience. <laughs> and so I think um, Dana Lynn Knuckles, we love the people's oracle here, was on stage with me. She's like, oh, that's Jay. Y'all should know each other. And I was uh-huh. like, okay. And I think I maybe reached out from Instagram and then we followed each other and then that's how we connected. But yes, the first time I heard you was in Clubhouse. Wow. Oh, so, shout out to Clubhouse. I don't be on there no more, but I was literally about to say that's meant to be because (laughs) that was in the week that I was on Clubhouse and then I (laughs) (laughs) oh that was meant to be it was meant to be (laughs) so y'all JT Perry is a writer speaker educator artist churchy mystic and chronically ill babe she's a black queer disabled femme practicing spiritual activism cultural work and community curation let's give it up for JT Perry so good to be here yes i'm so excited i already gave you a little introduction but i like to always ask my guests how do you identify yourself how do you want to show up today on the show yes oh my goodness um one of the things that because we're in an audio format people can't see the visual Mm -hmm. of how black queer disabled femme is spelled black queer disabled is all one word and then femme is another word and i just think that that's important because it talks about all of the different ways that um these identities intersect these identities dance with one another mm-hmm. um and and how i experience them in the world simultaneously and so mm-hmm. i think that's one thing that i love for the people to know uh we're going to get all into this but they call me the churchy mystic mm-hmm. churchy does not mean christian um and I know that we are going to get into all of that. So that's all I will say for right now. Um, But those are those are the big the big things. And really, it is just 
such a joy, I have to say again, really, truly, it's such a joy just to be here. Um, and, and I'm grateful for what you do, Juju Bay, and, and really unpacking and letting folks know that we're still out here. We're out mm-hmm. here and we are spiritualists of all different traditions, mm-hmm. um, building on tradition. So I appreciate yes. you. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking of our spirituality and traditions, sort of talk to us a little bit about what your spiritual background is or your religious background. Like kind of how did you grow up and how did it morph into the churchy mystic? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So I grew up um, in a small and I'll, I'll be telling this story. It's one of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a very small uh, church in Philly. So I'm originally from Philly. Philly. Uh, right now, hey, Philly, <laughs> all the Johns, you know, we love them. <laughs> we love the Philly Johns. <laughs> they are cousins. Yes, yes. And so um, I grew up at in a very, a very small church in the middle of an intersection that was a crossroads. And what mm-hmm. we know about the crossroads is it's such an important site of uh, Black spirituality. It's a, such an important um icon of of the roads of Afro-diasporic spirituality. It's a site of power. It's a site of choice. It's a site of um, all different kinds of spiritual energies and entities coming together at one time. And so I grew up in this small church, about 60 people on a good day, like on Easter, on Easter Sunday. Like maybe we had 60 people, you know, okay. uh, the church when I went there was, it was, it was Pepto-Bismol pink. I don't know who decided that that was going to be the exterior, <laughs> but it was Pepto-Bismol pink and the inside was red. They have red carpets mm. and red chairs. So if you just imagine just hot energy, just a lot of yes. heat, <laughs> yes. a lot of just heat, hot spiritual energy, um, in this space and it was not a denominational church um mm. but it was black pentecostal and i'm i'm using okay. that also as a portmanteau uh black pentecostal as a reference to dr ashan Crawley's work where he talks about in his book black pentecostal breath um as black pentecostalism as an imagining of otherwise worlds mm. um beyond any specific doctrine, beyond any specific set of beliefs, how do we imagine new worlds together uh, spiritually? How do we make space for spirit and 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 vastness? Mm. And so these practices were happening, you know, in this small um, little church. But of course it was, and I, I'm writing about this in the book, in the Churchy Mystic book, was that it was a double dipped experience because we got all of this beautiful, amazing black ritual um, and and healing modalities and laying on of hands and all of these things mm-hmm. with colonial rhetoric and theology, right? And so it was mm-hmm. a very double dipped experience and I'm unpacking some of that in the book. Yeah. And so what's really interesting is that I left that, you know, left that phase and went, went, went through a period of searching um, in my teenage years, my late teenage years and in my, you know, in college and especially in graduate school, I really started to formalize my search a little bit more mm-hmm. um, and really began to branch out and learn and understand how um, Black faith and Black religion just worked right mm-hmm. um on my own for my own we're flashing forward to about let's say 2015 or so on my own started learning about um 
the Black Buddhist tradition and really thinking about mm -hmm. what does it mean to incorporate some of those principles and tenets in the way that I you know, live for myself personally. And then mm -hmm. began to really study in 2017, I co-founded the Mystic Soul Project with uh, Teresa Mateus and Rob Mendoza. And at that time, the whole project was really looking at how do we understand the magic and the mysticism and the ritual, right? Uh, for me, of, of Black and Indigenous healing and spiritual modalities. Mm -hmm. And for them, they were looking more across the Latinx diaspora and what mm -hmm. that looked like. And so, you know, I've had lots of amazing, to, 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 to put it mildly, Juju, this is mildly. Mm -hmm. I've had lots of very interesting experiences in the world and in the life of, of spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've learned that it sometimes helps to tr not try to immediately make sense of it all, just to let it arrive mm -hmm. to you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the churchy part. And the mystic part is about that letting it arrive. So the mysticism, um, when we talk about mystics, we're talking about a tradition of folks who are trying to have an understanding, a direct understanding of the divine, however yep. they see that in themselves, outside of themselves, in the world around them. And so I think for me, being a mystic in practice now in my, um, in the urban scape of Chicago is really figuring out how do I see the divine? How do I see the ancestors, the Orisha, the benevolent Black churchy spirits mm -hmm. um, all in and through the, the world around me, in right. me, and also, you know, above me. So right. that's a little bit about my background and, and mm -hmm. worldview. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. I mean, there's so many <laughs> follow-ups that I have in that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious... You know, for those of us who were raised in the church, but also took this journey of exploring even beyond the church and what it means to connect with the divine. Something that people ask me all the time is like, I'm struggling with embracing the mysticism mm -hmm. because of the church. And I still value the church. I still see some healing in the church, but also the church caused me a lot of pain and harm. Yeah, And they're having difficulty kind of balancing the the two and i'm curious how you did that and what is your unlearning relearning journey what does it look like for you and how did you how have you been doing it Ooh, that's such a deep question mm -hmm. oh my gosh how am i doing it day by day mm -hmm. <laughs> yes what i find and i talk about this a lot what i find is the blessing and the burden of having access to so much knowledge via um, social media, via these different things, is that we all sometimes feel that we have to choose something really quick. Yes. Right. And folks that come Speak in my on in my one on ones, especially with folks who have are leaving an Abrahamic religion, mm -hmm. um, the comfort there's a little bit of dissonance because at one point we, you know. You may have had the comfort of, well, I believe these things and it's giving me this certain amount of comfort. So you're moved from comfort into dissonance, right? Yeah. And you're moved from comfort into a little bit of, of, of discomfort and figuring out, oh my God, what do I believe now? Mm -hmm. What I would say is don't try to rush yourself to believe anything right now. Learn to sit with the discomfort and the mm. dissonance so yeah. you can get to know 
what is what does your voice sound like what does your soul need when it is in those spaces of uncertainty when it is in those spaces where you may not be sure right where to go or what to do it's funny i've been reading if you ask me this on another day i might have a different answer Mm -hmm. but today i was reading um a romance novel by Akwake Emezi. Uh, you made love. a death. Yes. Oh my love gosh. Them. <laughs> love them so much. Um, you made a full of death with your beauty. And it's kind of talking about love. What does it mean to love after a, something traumatic has happened? And mm. I know that for my own life, I'm also a survivor, right? Of domestic violence. And, and I, I know what it feels like. This is not what the book talks about to be clear, but the theme, right? I get mm-hmm. this theme of what does it mean to love again after trauma and mm-hmm. how, tender that is and how some days you feel like i'm out here honey i'm doing this thing and then sometimes you're like i didn't got myself in this situation that i don't <laughs> i don't even know how to get out of right and i see a parallel actually in mm-hmm. moving through different kinds of spiritual modalities and mm. especially after being hurt by institutionalized religion because I carry that hurt too, right? I carry that hurt too from institutionalized religion, right? I'm black, I'm queer, and I'm disabled. Like, let's just, mm-hmm. we know, we know what those things mean, right? right? And mm-hmm. even though I went to a church that was, it was a black church, it was, you know, all these things, and these people were were kind of like my family at a certain point. We still had to really reckon through some hard times when it came to different identities. When I left that church, I went to another church that was just really, really not good for me. And so I understand what that feels like to move through Mm -hmm. the institutional trauma. And I want to call it what it is. Sometimes we say like, oh, church hurt and these things, but a lot of times it's trauma, it's trauma. right? And so how do we love again, love the divine mm-hmm. in us, love the, the connection that we have to spirit, love the divine outside of us after experiencing trauma, I think is, is a worthy question. And I don't think you can answer it with your words per se. I think you answer it with your living and your life mm-hmm. and your mis you know, missteps and your, your, the night you got to journal it out. <laughs> right. All cry it out. Cry it out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like I think sometimes because on social media, we only see the glossy versions. We think yep. that other people aren't also having these moments of dissonance or these moments of reflection or these mm-hmm. highs or these lows. And I think it's so important for people that ask us these kind of questions, you know, to know that, your story is going to be your story. So mm-hmm. don't compare it to anyone else and know that you don't have to, you know, you, you'll be able to love again yeah. after, after trauma. Mm-hmm. It just may not take the direct path that you think it's going to take, but nothing yeah. in spirituality really does. At all. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one of the, I guess, blessings of spirit. It doesn't have yeah. any direct way. It, it's in everything, in every moment, yep. in every experience. Mm-hmm. Woo, that's so deep. You know, something, a story that I share pretty often on the show, and just when I'm talking to folks is about how people are like, oh, how do you, how do you hear your ancestors? You have such a good relationship to your ancestors. And I'm like, them motherfuckers be getting on my nerves. <laughs> and I have taken my altar down throughout this process of me embracing them, learning from them, loving them i took my altar down a good two times Mm -hmm. and didn't talk to him at all gave no offering poured no libation had nothing to do with y'all 
So mm-hmm. the same thing that when people are questioning God, no, I question my dad often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't get it often. I, their advice sometimes I'm like, now what? What? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> or are you showing up? I gave you the offer. Why are you not? What's going on? Yep. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a process and a journey. And this, you know, I never want to romanticize the journey of being a mystic because it's it can be very difficult and hard. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we love it, it, it it's right, co- yeah. it's complex. It is. Yes. Yes. It's complex. Mm-hmm. It is. Um. So. How how would you feel like your identity of church, churchy mystic interacts with your your queerness and, mm. and your gender? How does yeah. that kind of show up? Yeah, I so in the longer form book, which God willing in the creek don't rise, it'll be out next year. Help me, Holy Amen. <laughs> it is um, so. Yes, yes. It's so. It's really really interesting. I find that. One thing that I'm often saying in this theory, right, of of churchy mysticism is that it's not necessarily about being Christian. And I and I had to really let mm. go of um, years ago that this is years ago now, but I had to let go of my Christian identity so I could really live into what it meant to be a churchy mystic. This has been a journey for me since 2015. I have literally been just gathering insight and input and learning how people use this word churchy, uh, particularly Mm -hmm. on digital formats and through digital archiving, but also just through the ways that that Black folks speak, right? When we know when somebody's churchy, we're talking about a a set of um, cultural realities, right? Mm -hmm. That may include, and I have this in the book, is like may include anything from the laying on of hands to just the specific red punch that you would get after, (laughs) like the taste memory, right? Yes, the green beans. You know, you and know a the, roll. the smell, like the smell when you open up yes. the, the hymnal, that smell, the olfactory mm. remembrances. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about that word and when I've seen this word used a lot in digital landscapes, we're talking about these kind of cultural sensing experiences. And we're right. also talking about kind of an orientation and how we view the world, right? I don't necessarily know that we're always talking about Christian or Christianity, mm, which hmm. is an institu- which is the institution right. right that we have as black people had to code our magic and mysticism in and under and through, right? To really establish um these different things for ourselves. So it's really interesting because I think uh when I say, oh, yes, I'm a churchy mystic, I'm talking about an ontological way of, of being that is Black, right. and that is informed, right, in this particular, uh, specific um, hoodoo slash, right, this mm-hmm. very mixed methods kind of way of, of being. Right. Of being. Yep. And so it's interesting, though, because with that comes the highs, the beautiful things we remember, the green beans, all these things, but also come some of those harder memories, right? And those memories of being ostracized and different things like that. Now, I came out as queer. um, I don't... It came out as always such complicated language for me because yes, I really it is. like I'm just doing what I'm doing. Um, but I... Right? But, but I think people let's say it this way, people read me as queer 
as I okay. got older, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and my adult where people were like, oh, this is an adult now. In my adulthood years, people right. began to read and, oh, this is what's been, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't say, you know, I, 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 I went through a lot of what other folks have went through, the sermons of like, oh, you know, we don't really do that. We don't get down with that, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, lifestyle. <laughs> My, mo- my mother is a minister and we still have oh, our wow. conversations yeah. and sometimes I just be like girl not today girl I'm d- uh, not today girl. not today <laughs> maybe next rest. week <laughs> <laughs> let me rest you know but what I will say honestly Juju Bay is I felt and we, we people don't talk about this a lot is that I felt the most, um, you know, the most viscerally ostracized when it came to being disabled. Mm. Um, And when it came to, you know, people Hmm. not understanding the narrative of, and I always say the narrative of Jesus as a disabled ancestor, right? right? So when we think about even just that specific text, when Jesus came back, you know, there was, or when Jesus was reincarnated, you know, there was all kinds of holes and and different things on his on his person to show right. you know this is what i've been through and 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 that was even in a glorified body in a glorified right. deity body mm-hmm. and and yet <laughs> and yet i think sometimes within that tradition within christian tradition we find disability um as 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 problematic as inherently ethic mm. as something to be prayed away mm, this gets mm-hmm. very complicated when it comes to black folks because of yes. the fact that black folks are often being put in disabling circumstances right we mm. are the ones who are working in the factories and that has that has a toll on our body we're yeah. the ones who are surviving and not saying the only ones but we have survived racialized trauma over yep. and over and over from generation to generation to generation to generation yes. and and mm-hmm. these things can change your body these things can change how you move mm-hmm. through the world mm-hmm. and so black folks and and disability justice really go hand in hand but we don't see that a lot of times in not just the christian tradition but in many black spiritual traditions where we don't honor the disabled understanding of the divine mm-hmm. as as it should be, you know, right. honor in all of its complexity and all right. of its beauty. So I think I felt the marginalization from being queer, you know, in church. Sure, yes, I did. But, you know, my remembrances of what it felt like for people to be like, let me pray over you. And then like, right. if you don't get up and perform wellness in mm. this way, <laughs> Similar to if you don't perform straightness in this way, right. if you don't if you don't perform wellness, then now we have a whole spiritual story that we right. well, we've cr- we've crafted and right. that we're giving to you, right? And right. and you don't have to ingest that story. So for anyone who's disabled or chronically ill and listening to this, know that you don't have to ingest that story. You can reflect and sit with what is the disabled divine within you right and how do you understand that and same thing with queerness right understanding like 
what are the queer avatars of the divine? If the divine is as big as we say that they are, if there's a pantheon of spirits, of Egbe, of ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. Then queerness is already an infinitely a part of that. So I think yeah. that be the journey of being a mystic, while it is complicated, it has been very healing for me. Yes. Because I see myself in the divine and I see the divine in me as well mm -hmm. through that path. The way you just <laughs> somebody give Jay an award. I don't know what award, but just give the awards to Jay. Yes, Lord. <laughs> um, can you define uh, disabled uh, for us and, and disability as an expert in the field? Oh my goodness, that's so hard. That's a hard question because mm. because it's one of those things that everyone is going to have their own understanding, their own definition. Yeah. The reason why I use disabled, honestly, is because, actually, you know what? I'm going to give a little history because I'm a nerd. Please do. <laughs> so the disability rights movement of the 1960s, uh, we appreciate that because it, it helped to um, make sure that ADA laws were put in place, right, that could assist uh, disabled and chronically ill folks, right? However, the limitation of that movement was that it was mostly focusing on, right, the legal, we want to have the legal rights. And also, it was largely and overwhelmingly, while there were people of color in this movement, it was largely and overwhelmingly a white, right? Yes. The leaders of the movement and things of that nature. So 2005 comes, 2000, and, it, and really picks up steam in the 2010s, mm -hmm. where a group of um, Black and Brown and queer uh activists and organizers and artists. I think this is really important because the first thing that it started off with, with was art. Yes. And they these folks got together um, and really, really made sure that there was an approach that talked about, and these are disability justice principles, you can look them up on mm -hmm. Sense Valid, but that talked about the leadership of those who are most oppressed. It talked about um, the, the intersecting identities of what does it mean to be brown and disabled or black and disabled or queer and disabled. Um, and what does it mean to not just say you can have rights, but to uproot ableism. Yes. Right. And so through that movement, um, a lot of different amazing writing and poetry and art and things were birthed. But I think that movement informed my understanding of being disabled because of the fact that every time I say I'm disabled, I'm saying that there is a disabling agent. Mm -hmm. I'm disabled by something. Mm -hmm. I'm disabled by the fact that we live in capitalism. And so right. even when I get sick, I can only rest but so much because we have to work and grind and move and, and do, right, because yep. of capitalism. I'm disabled by the fact that um, many times Black folks, like, we live in food deserts, right? Mm -hmm. We live in near railroads and near factories. Now I'm in Chicago. So living near factories and things that mm -hmm. then get into our lungs and then cause Pollution. disability, right? And so right. whenever I say I'm disabled, I'm really... Whether other people get it or not, I don't care. <laughs> I'm saying that I'm disabled by 
something, right? right? Not just something individual that's going on in my body, which is true and real and valid, but it's also yeah. the ways that these things, these systems don't make mm-hmm. space for my body to be comfortable to be prioritized or even to be in the space so that's what I mean when I say you know I'm disabled right so really putting the focus on these disabling systems that impact really all of us um in a variety of different ways um whether one identifies as disabled or not like we are constantly being disabled like you said by capitalism by anti-blackness and racism by all the isms that exist um thank you for sharing that i think that's super important for us to know um and carry with us and so how do you feel you touched on this a little bit like how disability justice can sort of sort of show up in our spiritual movements or kind of what does it mean to have them intersect? Like how does the divine encompass disability or what could it look like in our everyday lives? Um, and also being allies to disabled people in general within our spiritual movement specifically, in this spiritual movement yeah. specifically. Yes, two things I want to make very, very, very clear is that in one of my favorite definitions of ableism is by Talila T.L. Lewis Esquire, and it talks about ableism being inherently anti-Black. Inherently, inherently anti-Black because of the fact that ableism tries to ensure a certain level of homogenous, normative, meaning making this the norm, productivity, behavior, and excellence that Black people always just transgress. It's always transgress by virtue of simply just being Black and on these lands, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if it's so much of a call to incorporate disabled folks per se, mm-hmm. is to realize that disabled folks always were in these traditions and yes. that when we dismantle our ableism, we actually are dismantling internalized anti-Blackness. Mm. I also think it's really important to know that we we can do this. We have this technology, right? A lot of yes. times folks ask, you know, well, how do we then incorporate the da-da-da? And I, and I for people who have literally no starting point, I just kind of talk about, especially folks who have some kind of churchy tradition. I always mm-hmm. think about like, well, what did people do when grandma wanted to go to special service? Right. We made sure it didn't matter. She was getting to, spe- we didn't have to do a committee who's going to pick her up and who's going to drop her off and who's going to bring her. We didn't do all that. We just made sure that the things happened. <laughs> And things were together in place so that they could happen. You know what I'm saying? Even these traditions that come with like church nurses, like we know how to do this. Yes. The water, there's water, there's sheets. Yep. <laughs> there's all of these things, right? And and really even thinking about that is so important. Even when we think about the ancestors, we all have disabled ancestors. Yes. How powerful would it be to think about what does it mean to actually venerate them? and see them in this larger understanding of what it meant to be black and spiritual and living Mm -hmm. on the lands that you're living on. Right. Right. We have Orisha that are specific to 
to folks who are disabled, right? Yep. Who look out for, right? Yep. The folks who are disabled. And so we have to, when we don't remember that, that's, that's, that is ableism vis-a-vis whiteness right. that is actually coming into these traditions, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is whiteness, particularly in America. I know you have inter- international listeners. <laughs> but they know where we at. They know where we at. Um, <laughs> But it is it is whiteness that has set up in the first place this idea of this is what it means to be excellent. This is what it means right. to have your body even be able to navigate a space. Right. This is what it means, right? And so I think about what Black folks did when 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 we were disrupted by when our bodies literally and our spiritual practice of the ring shout, which is a dance where folks come together, they collect in a circle, right? It's kind of like shouting in, in mm-hmm. church, but this is like the origin, the, the originator, the, the OG, OG. <laughs> just the OG. Yeah. The OG of that. We were interrupted actually by a structure, by pews, right? Mm. Information in black magic by Yvonne Chirot. Yes, We were interrupted by pews. So we couldn't do the ring shout. And what do we do? We just transgressed the aisle. We just yes. left out of the pew. We just made a different kind of space. Right. As Ashan uh, Crawley would say, Dr. Ashan Crawley would say, we made an otherwise world. So if we can do it then in our, en- in our enslavement, we can do it now. Yeah, We know how to do it. Um, and we learn how to do it by being in community with disabled folks. And some of us, Juju Bay, I don't know who I'm talking to, but some of us, it starts with admitting and acknowledging, right, that we're not as far from disablement as we might mm. think, think we are. We're not as far from chronic illness as we might think we are, especially not in a pandemic. Okay. You know, especially not being the viral underclass. I forget who said that um, originally, but especially not in this moment. And so we, Mm -hmm. I believe it is a spiritual imperative to be able to understand the divinity, right? That what can we learn about the divine through the lives of uh, disabled and chronically ill folks. How do we close this perceived gap? I've been saying these days, Jujube, uh, folks who are believing the fan fiction that they're able-bodied. Ooh. That's what I've been saying these days. How do we close that gap, right? And we yeah. understand that many of us are closer and it may be scary, right? But that's why we have our ancestors yeah. to to lean on. How did yes. you do this, my disabled ancestors? How'd you get through this? I don't know, yep. right? It gets deep. No, that's, that's good. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so deep. It's so... It's so nuanced. It's so complex. And I, I really appreciate you like uplifting our disabled ancestors and really venerating mm-hmm. and calling on them for their insights and their advices, particularly because many of them had a lot less resources than we find ourselves having now. And yet they still like and yet they still and they still and they still and we're here today. So mm-hmm. what a power to invoke call on listen to specifically our disabled ancestors which like you said we all have we probably have Mm -hmm. a disabled elder in our family or not elder within our own families um that we still support and make it work when i'm around my elders we always got okay who gonna walk grandma root to the bathroom okay somebody get all murdered so you know that's just what we do so i 
also appreciate this like groundedness and like like look at the things that we already do like it, it's a part of our relationships with people that we care about um and it's no more no less than that it's, it it already is hey you just this is giving like parts <laughs> okay <Yes. laughs> um to go down a little bit of a different path i wanted mm-hmm. to also ask you about tarot because i know that you read tarot and yes. you explore decolonial tarot how mm-hmm. would you how do you define that and and how did you how do you see the tarot deck as something that can be decolonized or how do you use it for maybe like divination for liberation as dana lynn knuckles would say yes oh such a juicy question okay <laughs> this is the first thing i have to explain to to, to... <laughs> to folks is that the tarot is just a tool it's just yes. a tool like every other thing that we use to divine with dice coins um mm-hmm. shells, shells. Mm-hmm. candles smoke mm-hmm. you know the cards are another tool that we can use you know to to divine and to move through and understand what are some messages that are coming you know, for us and and many times through us for this moment in time. I fell in love with the tarot after getting a reading and, you know, I'm a Taurus sun and I'm a Sagittarius moon. And so my my chart is mostly earth and fire. Okay. And I got this reading and I was like, "Mm." it wasn't given or (laughs) it was giving, it was giving too much. Oh, it was too much. You were, you were too seen. (laughs) Yep. It was giving actually too much. And I just felt all the earth and fire just kind of just come up. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm gonna do some research and I would just, I would just see why would they say this to me? <laughs> just ornery. Exposed. Just, just ornery, right? Just, just All you need is a little juju. Ornery and exposed, truly. And I started studying and it literally changed my life. It really mm. did. It really changed my life. Um, and I didn't know why. I just knew that the cards felt really familiar to me. I felt like it was more of a remembrance than a learning, you know, I, yeah. I study a lot, um, but it felt like I was calling something back to my remembrance. And so I started working with the tarot flash forward, maybe two, three years out. And my grandmother gets, gives me a call, my paternal grandmother. And she's like, I seen what you've been posting, you know, on these sites. Now, you know, that can mean anything, honey, because if it can go a lot of ways. (laughs) Yes, it can go so many ways. So I was already like, okay, let me make sure I've got coffee for this this conversation. Mm -hmm. And, but I was so surprised because she said, you know, I also read the tarot and my grandmother is the one who taught me, Cecilia Weston. And so now, of course, those who, who know my work know about mm-hmm. the Cecilia Weston Tarot Academy. But I did not know that when I started working wow. with tarot, right? It was actually a family secret. It was, very, it was suppressed because of the fact that, you know, you know, and I asked my grandmom, I said, well, if you do all of these things, why do you just say, oh, I'm Catholic? And she was like, well, you know, that's just what we knew to be is Catholic. And, you know, my she's like, my kids don't really like me talking about 
those different things and mm-hmm. capacities. But you know how black people believe that it skips a generation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It'll be the next one. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't going to be your mom. It might be you. It might be you, right? So really interesting how, right, this was my great-great-grandmother, Cecilia Weston, who practiced. My Nana didn't wow. practice, but then my grandmother did. And yeah. then her kids don't really, but then I do, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. we we have these echoes and these resonances yes. that that they do come back. And so when I am working with the cards, I do feel a connection with my ancestors who worked with the cards just in the way of facilitating and and learning what it means. And that's not all, you know, Mother Cecilia Weston did. She did all kinds of healing work and laying on of hands and root work and all of that. I just am a card girl. I love divination. And so, right, it's just so good to me. It's so good to me. When we talk about how do we decolonize, it's a bit very tricky because when we think about the cards tarot cards at at the very least they were not always within black folk healing methodology because they cost money right right they they costed money they were not always accessible Mm -hmm. um for folks and so you know when people are like, I want to get to these cards in order to touch into my ancestors, I always say there's other there's other ways actually to connect with your ancestors. You don't need a deck of cards to be right. able to connect with your ancestors. And I want to be super clear about that for the people who are listening. The tarot started off as very mysterious, very mysterious um, kind of circumstances, but start off as as a game, right? In in 15th century Italy and we moved through these cards and they came through through the renaissance and they were updated through the order of the golden dawn and through uh pixie smith which i think you have a whole episode yes, on, uh-huh. on pamela coleman smith Coleman. Mm-hmm. what's important to know about pamela coleman smith is that they also had a background in like uh catholicism as well mm-hmm. yep. so a lot of the cards that you see in the rider Waite smith deck including the devil including the lovers including the ace of cups have very uh, Catholic visuals, yes, like they do. like angels and communion cups yep. and doves mm-hmm. and all of these things, right? And so I think that what is really for me as someone who's always playing with that and transgressing Christian ideology, yeah. I think it's very juicy. Like I just think it's so it juicy is. to just float, kind of flip those things on their head and and really dig into how did we get this deck and these archetypes. I also think it's important to understand that within um, Afro-diasporic religions at their base, there's not so much of an understanding of like, ooh, the devil is a bad Mm -hmm. character. I read a lot of folklore. Uh, Black folklore is my favorite. I was raised on it because my parents are into that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we hear these stories about the devil more as like, you could kind of reason with the devil a little bit. Right. A little mm-hmm. bit. A little bit. You can talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you may have to wheel and deal and finesse and all yes. of those things, right? And so I think it just also adds a colorful understanding of how you read the cards. Yeah. Where does it become decolonial? If the tool itself is steeped in colonialism, you have to rework the tool, right? Well. And so all these amazing artists are coming up now Courtney Alexander does to Onyx um, uh, you know just really thinking about the black queer tarot all of these different kudu tarot tarot, these deck creators that are doing the the, the work of of, 
flipping these things on their head and doing this kind of decolonial work. Mm -hmm. What I encourage folks to do in Cecilia Weston Tarot Academy is actually to broaden out from the deck, right? So the tarot deck specific is only in that first cohort. But when we get to the third cohort, it's really how do we build decolonial spirit theory? Mm. So how do we understand how spirit works outside of the lens of institutionalization? Mm. As we build decolonial spirit theory, we think about other spirit theorists, right, of the past, folks like Gloria Anzaldúa, folks like Louisa Teich, folks, right, Mm -hmm. that really teach us a little something about the divine. And we get to understand that we get to add into these traditions. And that's where it becomes decolonial. Our adding into the tradition as we decolonize ourselves, because that's really the only thing that we can decolonize, that we're going to be real about it. Okay, look it up. (laughs) As we decolonize ourselves, and we understand the role that colonialization has played in Black diaspora traditions. Yep. As we question it, as we understand it, as we, you know, work our way around, we become decolonial spirit theorists mm. that then can add and build on to the tradition. So my work is really hopefully to empower folks to also add to this tradition, right, of decolonial spirit theory so that we can understand what are the ways that we have created things for our liberation. I also love Daniel Knuckles. It talks about divination for liberation. If the tool has limitations, how do we rework the tool? If the book has limitations, how do we rework, you know, the the book? And then when is the point where we say, actually, we've evolved even beyond this beyond that. Mm-hmm. right can you imagine like i don't think the tarot is going anywhere anytime soon but mm-hmm. what would the next evolution of that look like is what something yeah. i'm always interested in as just a decolonial right. spirit theorist yeah and you know as we like you said decolonize ourselves because we can't really decolonize we can but the tool, but we really decolonize ourselves. It has ourselves. limitations. Yep. It has mm-hmm. limitations, right? You know, we are able to interpret the cards in a very specific and or in a different way than maybe we yes. were taught or from someone who told us. Be- because I don't believe in this particular idea or thing. When I see blah blah swords, I'm not a tarot girl, so don't. But when I see mm-hmm. ten of yep. swords, maybe that means something <laughs> here. But. I'm interpreting yep. it in a different way because I've done some work to not see it as something or the devil as something limiting or something evil or the tower means something bad is about to happen to me. But like, what? how can we be expansive with, with the tools that we read? And I think that's so important because um, my old godfather used to say this all the time. Divination ain't wrong, but you can be wrong. And then you telling somebody something wrong. <laughs> But the divination said what it said now, but you wrong. So now you just shared the wrong information because of whatever stuff that we come with when we are interpreting these tools. Um, It's just super important. Something I think about a lot too. That's good. Um, Okay, Jay. So as we wrap up, I want to, and thank you just so much for all that you shared today. Absolutely. Do you have a message for us? Is there something on your on your spirit that you want to say that's been on your heart that you wanted to talk about in this interview and we didn't get a chance to? And it's okay if not, but I like to leave the space open for you to share anything else that you may want to or to take away. I want to underscore something I said at 
at the beginning mm-hmm. um so folks who may be in this process who are you know just trying to find their way I want to make sure that you know that you can take your time um and that there is no rush spirit is literally eternal so there's no rush for you to move in or out of a space um and it's important for for us to really be mindful of our own pace as we Mm -hmm. just try to figure out what does it mean to be connected intimately to spirit um Another thing that I would encourage folks to do, you know, we're in the age of what I call social media spirituality and mm-hmm. it has blessings and it also has its limitations. Okay. I would just encourage folks to um, to study, to look up who are these spiritualists that are, that are speaking to you about things, what um, informs them, who are mm-hmm. their teachers who are the folks that they listen to? What are the communities that they are accountable to? Yeah. So that you know who it is that um, best aligns for you to work with, right? Yes. So it's really important to allow your soul consciousness, your sacred self, the part of you that is wise, that is sage, that is divine, to both lead you in this process, but also that you know that you can always ask more questions, yes. ask follow-up questions yes. uh, so that you are, are aligned, you know, working with spiritualists that are actually aligned with the thing that you are needing at this particular point in time. So that's what I would encourage folks to do, that they don't have to rush, mm-hmm. that you can take your time and that you can ask questions and that you should get answers. I don't care if you're talking to a, a pastor, a priest, a babalawo, a reader, a diviner, an imam, whatever the case may be, you should be able to know who are their teachers, Yes. what is their mission, um, who are they accountable to. Mm-hmm. And so don't feel afraid to ask, to ask those questions. Yes. I think that's the main thing that I, I really the the practitioner in me always has that to say (laughs) yes yes thank you so much for saying that Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so important um okay so thank you so much for this interview jay please tell us how we can find you what you offer how we can work with you how we can give you coins let it let the people know how we can let the people know okay perfect um so you can find me most often um there's first let me just give you the website it's just my name jadetperry.com um you can find me on patreon which i structure patreon as an online library so folks can learn with me um in a hybrid kind of form of ways through essays through videos and through monthly live gatherings called wednesday night study which juju bay was a guest at one of our night studies and i'm a patron y'all period period (laughs) and so that's where folks can find me for some of the programs um there we are right now in the process of taking interest forms and applications for the cecilia weston tarot academy so would like to learn um tarot with me or if you are a practitioner or creative and you want to be in a container with other practitioners and creators um cecilia weston might be the thing 
for you, honey. Um, I'm on social media, of course, mostly on Instagram at JT Perry. I'm also on Twitter at JT P or JT Perry child. I don't remember. I don't be on uh, Twitter that much. I'm an Instagram <laughs> girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the other things, ways to work with me, ways to book readings with me, ways to find me. You can find all of that on the website at jtperry.com. Yes. Thank you so much, y'all. This will all be in the show notes, of course. Jay, thank you so, 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 so much for being on the show, but also just thank you for you, not just what you produce, but just being you. You are so appreciated and your light really shines and impacts so many people. And I'm one of those people. So I really, really honor the divine that is in you. And I'm just wishing you blessings for all the things that you have, all the things that you need. So thank you. Thank I receive. Thank you, Jujubei. And the feeling is <laughs> so mutual. It's thank so you. mutual. I hope you get all of your flowers. While you are here, because you are doing a work for the people, I couldn't do it, and that's why you're, and that's why you're here. You know, it takes all of us. It does. It, it does. takes all of us to yep. really, to really understand and and know. And so, for the listeners, you just find your space, and mm-hmm. you just find your lane, and know that you're gonna you're gonna be okay. You're yes. gonna be okay. Yes. Again, I appreciate y'all so much. Thank you for tuning in each and every week. And remember, if you'd like to keep today's conversation going, hashtag a little juju podcast or ALJ pod on social media. And you can follow the podcast page at a little juju podcast on Instagram or me personally at it's juju bay. If you would like to bring me to your school or organization to speak, teach, do a workshop about hashtag black ass spirituality and ancestral systems and religions, you can reach out to me at juju at I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E. I've also started doing readings again. Readings open for, I book out a month in advance. So on the first of every month, my books will be open for that next month and maybe next two months. So be on the lookout for those. Thank you all so much. I'm so excited that you all are on this journey with me, learning with me, and that we can be in community together doing this this good ancestral work. So I love you. I appreciate you. See you next week. And remember, all you need is a little juju. Later. So do nothing without intention I thought I should mention This ain't new invention My juju's for freedom If yours not, I question No setbacks, just lessons A class is in session Now people are calling us back to tradition The spirit is saying that we got a mission So I'm gearing up when they call, I'ma listen Don't get in my way, I got pots in the kitchen All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju All you need is all you need All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju A little juju, a little juju My spirits always keep me in the loop So before you lie, I hope you tell the truth 
Cause I can't speak on what they may decide to do Protected in my truths I'm grounded in my roots and my roots now Non-believers think this is a flu But there's something about you make me see the proof I know you thirsty cause you fiending for my juice But you got it too You got it too, yes you do And all you need is a little juju I got libations and calories that owe me tutu Intention is power and that's the hoodoo That's the voodoo, that's the true you That's the true you your intention is power and that's the hoodoo that's the voodoo that's the true you that's the true you and all you need is a little juju